Broadway, we have an incredible group of people that love each other and that serve and that, like, the amount of emails and phone calls and support that I've been getting is mind-blowing. Yesterday, I got a dinner. It's, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You know what? I, I am always encouraged when people come to church, they listen to the sermon, they get involved in the service, and they activate something that they learned in the service. Last week, you remember, once in a while, I like to introduce scientific studies, and I introduced a study that showed that only 0.01% of trail mix is actually eaten on the trail. So we had a couple guys in our church, Nate is here, and Jeremy, and they decided to up the percentage, so this is what they showed here. So I don't care how you apply the sermon, just as long as you apply it, and uh, this is a good way to do it. And then Fraser, our friend, he also uh, sent me some trail mix on the trail, so if you want to do that, go ahead. Couple announcements, MCC Mennonite Central Committee, we love to uh, be involved in fundraising for them and Friday, March 24th is an MCC banquet. You can see Dave Vote. is Dave here? There he is, go see him after the service. Dave, hang out at the info booth over there and people can get tickets. In two weeks, we're having a men's breakfast again. On Saturday morning, Brad Hagel will be giving his story. Brad's been suffering from long COVID and uh, we wanna pray for him. Hear his story, see how he's doing with that. And uh, then in, at the end of April, the last Saturday there, we're going to have a everyone breakfast, not just the men, and then a work bee. So the more people we have, the shorter the work bee. So put that the last Saturday in April. I'm talking today about how we live in this world. And one of the things that I've heard from people is, while well, the church, they don't do anything except, you know, preach. You need to bring them to Ruth Naomi's Teen Challenge or other men and say, no, this is the church. I don't see the atheists and the humanists of Chilliwack putting this together. It's the believers. Okay? We're doing it, folks. Not out of pride because the Holy Spirit is in men and women and they're going for it and they're helping people. So thanks for what you guys do. Let's read the Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. I've entitled this sermon, Conversations with God and Conversations with People, under the umbrella of our mission statement, which is leading people to love and follow Jesus, which is our church mission, motto, purpose, however you want to call it. And I think Colossians chapter 4, 2 to 4, you would be able to say that's a good title for this section of Scripture. So I'm going to read it. Colossians chapter 4, 2 to 6. Church, people, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Be thankful. And pray for us too. Now, Paul was in prison. He, he's talking about praying for me and Timothy. That God would open a door for our message. So that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise, church, in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray. Father, there are some good ideas in here, some good words, maybe some words we don't understand. But Lord, we don't just want to read this this morning. We want to be doers of this word, and it says we're to be praying people. So may at the end of this, we commit ourselves to prayer, that we would devote ourselves to prayer. And also we would devote ourselves to those who don't know you, as is described here as outsiders, those without Christ. That we would pray that we would have a message to bring them, that we would live the message and talk the message and be able to answer questions about what it means to have faith in you. So Lord, we depend on your Holy Spirit right now to teach us, to convict us, to persuade us, to counsel us, and to encourage us in how we put these four verses into action this week and for the rest of our lives as individuals and as a church. Amen. So, conversation number one is your conversation with God as an individual and as a church. That's what prayer is. People ask what prayer is. It's conversation. It's talking to God. He doesn't verbally talk back to us, but as we are praying through with Scripture, we can have His voice speak to our inner spirit, and there can be a connection to God. And so we're going to converse with God, and, and there's lots of things to pray for in life. We should pray for for health and healing and those sort of things. But specifically, God here is talking about mission. Leading people, outsiders who don't know Jesus. Leading them to Jesus. That's the prayer. Devote yourselves to this. It's a standard feature in a Christian life. It shouldn't be an optional. It shouldn't be not in the luxury edition. Devote yourselves to prayer. We have a prayer meeting Sunday mornings at 9. We have four people who are really devoted. And I don't judge us that don't go. (laughs) That's not, you know, just because you don't go doesn't mean you're not devoted to prayer. But here's an opportunity. If you want to get a standard in your life and you want to be committed to praying this kind of prayer in here, if you can, be here at 9 o'clock in the prayer room. We actually have a prayer for praying, a room for praying. That's what it's for. Men, we're meeting Sunday morning, or Wednesday mornings at 6. If you can come, we're praying these kinds of prayers and for our lives and what's going on. In our care groups, we're praying for these things. In your individual life, as a church, we are to be devoted to prayer. And we are to pray with watchful eyes and to be thankful. We need clarity when we pray. We need to watch what's going on in our world and pray. Watch what's going on in that person's life and prayer and pray. That's what it would mean to be watchful in your prayer to bring this message. Look around when you go to work. Who here needs prayer? Who here needs Jesus? Let's pray that into their life that they would know Jesus and maybe God would even use you to reach them with Jesus. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful for the opportunities that he gives you. So Paul is saying, I want opportunity. You know, he's he's in jail. How many people can he really be sharing the gospel with? We don't know. Maybe they had shifts of, uh, you know, jail workers. 
of uh, parole officers or whatever else they have, but he's saying, I want to proclaim the gospel clearly to everyone I am with, fellow inmates. And he's asking for an open door. And that's a natural metaphor for the idea of having ready access to an opportunity. And it was this idea of an open door is widely used in the ancient world. Are we praying for that in our workplace? Are you praying for that in your workplace? Lord, give me an open door to be able to preach the gospel, speak the gospel to people. What's interesting here, it's not an open door for Paul. He's not asking that they'd be open to him. It's an open door to the gospel. He doesn't pray that he or some other minister might have an open door to walk through, but that there would be an open door to the gospel, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Paul is not the Savior, so it's an open door for Jesus and his word. That's what matters. Paul did not die. He wasn't punished on the cross for the sins of the world, but his sins were. He did not rise from the dead, but he will one day, Paul will. He did not ascend into heaven. He did not send his spirit to dwell in the people of God. He is not returning to judge the world and establish his kingdom. So Paul says, we preach our messages, Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. That's what we pray for an opening. People, Chilliwack needs the Lord. You look around, that's what it is. Yes, they need housing, they need recovery, but ultimately they need the Lord. That's what we've been singing about today. People need to be delivered and rescued from their sins. So he asks for a door, not for himself, but for the gospel. Why? Because it is the gospel that is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And in chapter 1, he talks about it's bearing fruit. So we pray to that end constantly as a group. So that's the challenge for me as pastor, challenge for us as staff, we pray for people to come to Jesus in our youth ministries, our children's ministries, all of our ministries, where you work, wherever you are. So the emphasis on the beauty of the gospel coming into people's hearts. It's dynamic. It's a message. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's the message to bring to people. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. We're praying for peoples to have their door opened. <laughs> Why? Well, Jesus said, I'm standing at people's door, their heart. It's the metaphor. And I will come in and I will fellowship with them. I'll have a meal with them. I will be their friend. That's what he's saying. It's not a quick breakfast at Tim Hortons. It's a full meal deal at the Caldwell's. <laughs> That takes hours and hours and hours. <laughs> it's a great time. I stand at the door and knock. So that's what we pray for as we meet people, as we go in our life. We'll get more to that in the next few verses. So he says, let's pray for open doors to proclaim the message. And he says it's a mystery. It's not really a mystery in the sense that Paul doesn't know. It's about something that wasn't known, wasn't disclosed, but now it is. It's clear. Christ in us. That's the mystery revealed. And that's what we pray for people, that they would have Christ. And he says, because of this, I am in chains. Why would he throw that in there? Not sure. Different scholars have different ideas. But he's reminding them 
that he is in prison, he's got chains on, and he's still praying. He's still looking for ministry. He's still looking for opportunity. He's still looking for a way to preach the gospel to whoever might walk by. So we see, what, is it, what was it like to be um, uh, in prison wearing chains? This is what I read. I've never been chained, uh, so it's not out of experience. I, although I did spend a night in prison once. Um, it's another story. <laughs> but I was not in chains. <clears throat> so the wearing of chains and or stocks while securing prisoners from escaping, it was physical rigor for people. They were weighty iron chains or restricted prisoner mobility, and they were the cause of untold suffering. They were rusty, they chased, they corroded the skin, they were too tight. They were kind of a little bit of torture to go along with being in prison. They were heavy, they would pain or even cripple people. And when the prisoner moved, you could just hear that sound. It was depressing. Paul says, remember my chains. And why was he in chains? Because he actually believed what he's talking about here. He preached the gospel to people. He created riots in Ephesus, and he was put in prison. So people, when you go and you pray for the message and the hearts to be open, guess what happens? You might go to prison. So remember my chains. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. This is what it says in Acts 24 about why Paul was put in prison. And this is the Jewish people coming to the Roman leaders. We have found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker. He stirs up riots among the Jews all over the world. Slight exaggeration, a little bit of hyperbole. He's the ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and he even tried to desecrate the temple, so he seized him. And he was put in jail for that. And then to Timothy, Paul said this, I am suffering now, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. They can stop me. <laughs> they can chain me up all they want. They can put stocks on my wrists, on my ankles, my knees, my neck, my head. I don't care. But what really matters is we're praying for the word of God to go into people's hearts. And that cannot be chained. That's the power of the gospel. It's beautiful. So how do we understand and apply this? Are you devoted to prayer? This is one of the easiest guilt-inducing sermons to be able to do. Just talk about prayer. It is. <laughs> prayer and evangelism, actually, those two things, you don't have to say much and people are already feeling guilty. So here it is in one, <laughs> in four verses, right? So Paul's not throwing this on us, and I'm not throwing it on us. I don't believe the Holy Spirit wants to throw us on us to sit here and go, oh, I'm just a worm, I'm a failure. And I'm not saying you have to show up Sunday morning at 9 or Wednesday morning at 6. But can you take a, one more step? You, you, know, you talked about steps for people, through, for, that, for that girl. Like, a step. Come once a month. See what it's like. Get with other people. Be devoted to this. In your care group, pray. Pray for the people that you work with and you're around your family members and pray for an open door in their hearts for the message of Jesus. Just one step. One step. It's like that in lots of things in life. That's the first baby step. Do that. Be devoted. Number, number two. Conversations with people. And I have a verbal 
and nonverbal. Because people listen to you by what you do as well. We all know that. So it says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity to what? Bring the gospel. Bring the good news of Jesus. Bring the words of rescue to people. Let your conversation be always, and this is last week I said, I just want to say what it doesn't say. Let your conversation be always full of judgment, condemnation, insult, slander, making fun. No. That's a lot of Christians witness on social media, if you, if you follow any. I've taken myself off most of it because I get sick and tired of Christians trying to bring the gospel on social media, and they're the exact opposite of grace. Their conversation is seized with, with acid, not salt. So let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Why? So you can answer people. They're going to ask about your faith. Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. They're going to notice you have hope. They might, they, they, hopefully they don't notice your life is perfect because if that's what people think, there's a problem. You need to, you need to show your hope in your weakness. And then when people ask about it, you pray for that opportunity and you share it. This idea of outsiders and insiders, that might rub a few people the wrong way. How dare we call people that don't know Jesus outsiders? The literal Greek word here means those without. We sung about it. There's those without Christ. Be careful how you act towards people who don't know Jesus. Those who are not believers. In wisdom, you need to walk toward them, act a certain way. And Paul gets this idea from, I believe, from the life of Jesus, because he talked about in or out. Unbeliever, believer. Rescued, not rescued. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus went on and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me. Why? Because he wasn't following Jesus. He was outside, and now he's saying, come inside. Follow me. Here's the great divide in Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 33. It's a great divide of who's in and who's out. When the Son of Man comes into glory, this is Jesus speaking, well, who's the Son of Man? It's him. (laughs) So he's speaking in the third person. It's like Bo Jackson here. He is speaking about himself. When the Son of Man comes and all the angels with him, he says, the Son of Man, I will sit on the glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before me and I will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Insiders? Outsiders. Sheep? Goats. Matthew 7, 13 and 24. Narrow gate? Wide gate. Only a few enter in the narrow gate, but many enter through the wide gate. Who builds their house on the sand? The wise person? 
And who doesn't? The foolish person. Two categories. We might not like this. <laughs> but some of the reasons we don't pray for people to get saved and know to Jesus because we don't think they have to. So Paul's getting at. That's what Jesus got at. Luke 15, three stories to show kind of insiders, outsiders. People who are lost, outsiders. People who are found, insiders. And it was a sheep, a coin, and a son. And the cross. Jesus and three thieves, right? Am I right? Weird how I sometimes aren't sure of myself. He says to one, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. What about the other two? Outside. This, this is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus rescues us and takes us from being outsiders to insiders. So he says, be wise how you act towards those who are without Christ. And earlier he said, the hope of glory is Christ in you, which means at one time we didn't have Christ in us and we aren't born with Christ in us. We have to be born again, have another birth, Jesus said. You all have a physical birth, that means being born once, and then you have a second birth, a spiritual birth, into the kingdom of God. This is the gospel. We can't back down from it. So he says, you need to be wise to people. You need to speak with your actions. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, you need to continue to live in him. And so Paul defines this new life, this new self, as described in chapter 3, this new person. Christ is all, he's in all. It's to be a wise person. So Paul was always interested in showing what the lifestyle of the believers was to the outsiders, to the people around them. That they weren't hypocrites. That they weren't self-righteous. You need to live amongst the people. You need to be with the people. And you need to pray for the gospel to enter into their hearts. They will be open to it. So it's an eagerness to share the gospel with people. And he says, you know, the way you're supposed to have it with conversation, that's gracious and seasoned with salt. No brash arrogance. Maybe you've heard people witness. Basically, they come across like this. Let me tell you how dumb you are and how smart I am. That's how some people come across with their witnessing. That's how they're received. And they say, no, be wise. Be wise. Walk wisely. Maximize your time. Make the most of every opportunity. This idea of redemption. Make your time worth it. Don't be arrogant, insulting, hot-headed lectures with people. Live with them. Walk with them. Cry with them. Have conversations with them. It's about time and opportunity. Make the most 
of that time. Pray for that time. Trust God with that time. Be full of grace, kind, considerate, forgiving, patient, humble, seasoned with salt. The metaphor of salty speech was a common one in the ancient world. Um, Sharing salt with somebody with a symbol of friendship and hospitality. So there you go. You want to have conversations seasoned with salt? It's an idea of being hospitable. People will like you. They will want to be with you. And in ancient conflicts, when it was over, they would have a meal consisting of bread and salt as a symbol of friendship. So show your friendship as you're sharing the gospel with people. You're with them. Someone has said, what, is it, what does it mean to share Jesus with people? Maybe you've heard this. Um, it's just one humble beggar telling another beggar where to get food. That's what it is. Nothing arrogant about that. I needed food for my soul when I was 21 years old. I was thirsty. I needed to be rescued. Somebody shared the gospel with me over the phone. And said, Gary, is Jesus on the outside of your life looking in or the inside looking out? So it wasn't like I was the outsider. Jesus was the outsider. That's how this person put the gospel to me. I said, he's not in my life. Boom, prayed to receive Christ, October 30, 1980. I'm glad that person took the opportunity and the time and knew how to answer my questions. And I received Jesus. So Christian saltiness is depicted in the Beatitudes. Go ahead and read those early on in Matthew. Just be like Jesus. Just be like Jesus was. We met a woman at the well. He didn't go on and on about her sexual immorality and her lifestyle. He just said, you need water. Right now you're getting physical water, and it's, sure, it's, it's filling a need you have. But you know what? You're thirsty in your soul. I'm that living water. You'll never have to come to it. You don't have to go and fill up every day. I'm, it's me. It's me. It's Jesus. So why? So that you can answer everyone. Doesn't mean you have to go and get a PhD in first century cultural ideas so you can share, or you need to get a PhD in chemistry <laughs> so you can share how science shows God exists. It's not, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Although we do have gifts in the church for that. It's beautiful. When Zach and I and others, Sharon and Lorraine and and Riley and uh, Jeff were in the C.S. Lewis conference. That's what it was about. It was about how to, show, how to ask right questions for people to ask to, so they see Jesus. And one of the speakers is Alistair McGrath. He's a Ph.D. in theology and a Ph.D. in chemistry. And we don't know, how, and he can answer. <laughs> He's good. But what does it mean to answer everyone? Paul's assuming here that unbelievers... Those without Christ will be raising questions about the faith of these of Colossian Christians. Questions that might be neutral, might be hostile, not sure, but when people ask, know how to say something, implies outsiders will ask about their new life. 
In fact, if you're obeying the scriptures, people might be asking, why are you like that? Why do you do things honestly? Why are you the salt of the earth, which means being full of integrity? So how do you understand this and apply this? Here's, here's the number one. It's tough. You need to believe, we need to believe that people are without Christ. And they need him. If you are very wealthy, you're probably not praying for some money to come in this month. You pray for what you understand to be true. So if we don't believe that that person who doesn't know Jesus actually needs Jesus, needs to be rescued, needs to be brought into the kingdom of God, doesn't go there automatically, if we don't believe that, we won't pray. So a church that doesn't believe or doesn't pray for people to come to Jesus probably doesn't believe people need to. And there are many churches like that. Could give hours and hours of evidence, even within our own Mennonite Brethren denomination of churches that have kind of given up on this. Sad. Denominations that have given up on this. Oh, everybody's in when they're born. No. So we pray to that end. People need Jesus. That's what we sing about every Sunday, people. Every Sunday, those first three songs I wrote down, <laughs> some of the words that you sang and I sang that talk about people need Jesus. They need to be born again. They need to be liberated. They need to be rescued. They need to have living hope because they had no hope. That's the two categories. It's a big, big sermon again on who's in and who's out. I'm not, I don't know for sure who's in and out. But believe people need it. People need it. So how do we understand and apply this? Number one, believe that people are without Christ, and that puts them outside the kingdom of God. Number two, walk the talk. Live the new self. Jesus absolutely was disgusted with hypocrisy and self-righteousness. Walk the talk. Number three, be watchful for opportunities. Number four, know the message. Be able to explain the hope that is in you. Can you answer basic questions about the message? Who, and this is it. It's not about trying to solve the problem of suffering with a good God and how can a good God allow such suffering. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. We've tried to answer that in sermons over the years. But it's just, who's Jesus? What's he doing for you? What has he done for you? What's he going to be doing for you? Paul isn't saying you need to be able to answer every conceivable question that is out there. But this is what you need to know. And I'll ask the band to come on up. This is, what, this is the answer you should have. How does a person become in Christ? A follower of Jesus needs to be able to help people with that. How does somebody become in Christ? What does it mean to be able to share the gospel? So we want to offer some classes after Easter. 
You see, this is the message. It's a beautiful message. It's a good story. It's a great story. It's a message of Jesus. We sing about it every Sunday. How do you receive Jesus? What does it mean to be in him and receive him? And we want to help you to share your story. Because that's what, what it means to be wise to people. This is what Jesus has done for me. It's tough. It's not easy. If we look at our own lives and go, oh, there's a lot of muck and mire here. You know, well, we, we confess our sins. He's faithful and right to forgive us our sins. And we move on. We keep going. John 1.12 To all who receive him, Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. There it is. From outside to inside. Children not born of natural descent or of human wisdom, but born of God. The before and the after, the old and the new, the liberated, the rescued, from no hope to a living hope. So as we sing this last song, if a couple ways to look at this song, it's a great song, is... If you sense that I don't know Jesus, I don't, Gary, I, I understand half of what you're talking about here, but some of it I just don't get. The Bible says Jesus is standing at the door of your heart knocking. He wants to come in. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to bring new life. He wants to rescue you from whatever you're a slave to and bring you into new stuff, new life. And those of us who are, have received Jesus, we need to keep going. We need to hold on. We need to have him hold on to us. Keep going with this beautiful message of Jesus Christ.